0: 2 Peter 1, 3-11, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Tori. Oh, Aaliyah. Aaliyah is going to share something profound. I just came up and interrupted her. So I'm so sorry. Here you
0: go.
2: It's cool. It's cool. You know, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. If you don't know me, my name's Aaliyah, and I'm pastor of community formation here at Park Hill, and I'm loving it. We have incredible communities. You just heard from Randy and Tori Charlson, and just testimonies of our, our of their group is just beautiful. Um, so just kind of wanted, this is the fifth week of our vision series, and, and today we're talking about something that we... Um, just are so excited about. We feel like the Spirit is leading us deeper into um, just being a community of Jesus followers who who practice community in smaller groups throughout the week all over the city. Um, And just kinda, we're gonna get into the text. Evan's actually gonna get into the text in a couple minutes here, but just kinda wanted to um, talk through some of the history of Park Hill Communities, where we're at right now, and where we're going. So um, our history is actually, we started out knowing that the Spirit was leading us um, to just these community groups, these smaller groups that meet throughout the week, doing life actually together. And um, it was really a beautiful season for the last 18 to 20 months. It's just been meals together, getting to know each other, um, just sharing real life and um, doing meals. And that was it. And just kind of the beginning of 2019, we started to pray. As a leadership team, um, I think God's calling us into kind of phase two of what he's calling us to into that deep relationship, and just hearing more of what Hannah said. You come on a Sunday, and the Spirit's moving, and he's teaching you new things, and you're making notes, and then you go by yourself and try to process it, and it kind of falls flat. So in communities, for this, um, this season that we're in right now, we just started five weeks ago, um, Debriefing the teachings and really having a space where um, you can just go through questions. That's kind of um, as a team, we just come up with different questions and things to pray through in each Parco community. And so far, it's just been really special to hear people have a place to process what they've been wanting to process um, after each Sunday and to not do that alone, all the way back in Genesis 1 and then continuing through the whole story. We see that God designed us to be relational, and that's with Him and with each other. And really, that's where it flourishes. Our relationship with God is when we have a space to be prayed for and encouraged and um, have Jesus at the center of a relationship, like that's really where God starts to move. And so we're excited about that. Um, so still doing meals together, holding on to what God kind of called us to in the beginning and being a family. Ours is like wild kids running all over the place and it might sound like this really beautiful time, but honestly, sometimes it's messy and that's okay. Cause that's real relationship. Um, and then just providing space to be authentic. So starting with meals and then now we're just incorporating in more of, um, just kind of that structure, questions, um, questions prayer for one another, just some really specific steps for that. And so we're just going to kind of keep building off of that. Um, Then the only other thing is actually um, what Randy and Tori's group talked about was having people from every single kind of life phase. Um, We don't do any age-specific, gender-specific, life-stage-specific groups, and the reason for that. Is, is because really God moves, kinda like you just heard. You have people that have had kids and they're speaking into people's lives who don't have kids yet and that's beautiful. You wouldn't get that from a, a group that was just college students. Um, similarly, college students really can um, just speak into the lives of older people. I've been so blessed by our, by our group. We have married, single, little kids and just people investing even in my kids As a community that don't have kids yet is beautiful. And I think, um, yeah, that's kind of what just not having those specific groups provides. Really, the spirit is moving in that. So we're excited about that. Um, This all sounds really beautiful. There's obviously also going to be times of conflict where you're working through disagreements. And this, this is the space for that, to be safe and to be able to pray through these things together with Jesus at the center. And there's also awkward conversations. There's working through... Um, just just struggles that we're having. They're sharing real prayers. Um, I think everybody needs that space to be able to ask for prayer. Um, sometimes it's just awkward. Honestly, earlier this year, our group has been meeting together for a couple of years. It's been beautiful. We share meals. We pray for one another. Like, we, we really know each other really well. And um, we were just having a great dinner. It was summer. We kind of were excited to reconnect. And then... Uh, just through whatever, you know, one of our community members actually accidentally caught another community member on fire. Um, It was me, I caught somebody on fire. So if you need to talk about conflict resolution or how to awkwardly apologize, like I'm your girl. So um, there it is, It it was Evan. So without further ado, here's Evan.
1: That's awesome, thanks Leah. Thanks, guys. Thanks for that picture. Thanks for that moment. Um, that was for I, I I accept that that was for coming up and interrupting Aaliyah. So now we're even. Oh man. So yeah, I was actually the reason why I came up and I got all I got all mixed up with the order. I was so moved by that community story, hearing all the generations share about what God is doing. Uh, d- despite the differences in the awkwardness of pushing through diversity. It's so profound. I was so thrilled that I actually forgot the order of who's speaking. And um, I, I, I am very excited about what's actually gonna happen this morning as far as the content. We read Second Peter chapter one, three through 11. My name's Evan. This is my wife, Sandy, up here. That was Leah, and we're part of a fantastic team that is leading this church forward. And um, today, we're in the middle of our vision series where we're talking about what it means to live as a community of Jesus's apprentices in the 21st century. Last month, we looked at what it means to be with Jesus. Uh, And this month, we're looking at what it looks like to become like Jesus. And next month, we're going to look at what it means to do what Jesus did. So, Tori, she read from 2 Peter 1, which is written by Peter, uh, the disciple who is notorious for his life change. So, aside from Paul, maybe, Peter is the most dramatic change story in the scriptures. He's famous for it. He starts out wanting to be like Jesus, wanting to do what Jesus does, and he ends up kind of putting his foot in his mouth quite often. He wants to be this powerful man of God, and then by the end of his life, by the end of his life, he actually is the powerhouse that he wanted to be. Someone's reading back their phone at me over there. That's great. By the end of his life, his life does change. Peter's life actually changes. And so what, what is this difference? all about, Um, he actually outlines it in this letter. This is the end of his life, a letter written to the churches in his later years. He's seen a ton of suffering of other disciples coming into into the family of God. And just put that first paragraph up on the screen. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. So that's the grounding of this whole change journey, okay? It's the power of God. So so who doesn't want to become like Jesus? This is like the desire of our hearts. Jesus is the the beacon. Throughout human history, people look back at Jesus as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, including the outsider, so just and so compassionate. It's like, I want to be like that. And Peter says the grounding for our ability to change, to break cycles of sin, And to become like Jesus, the grounding is the power of God. And then next slide. He says, therefore, for this reason, make every effort. Make every effort. Because we're grounded on God's power and we're able to change, now change. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And then he goes on to describe the change process. Becoming more like Jesus. Being a disciple. And, and Tori read the whole thing, we don't need to read it again. I just wanna make it clear right up front that Peter grounds our ability to change in God's power and then he turns right around and says, therefore make every effort, okay? So, so question, just so we're super clear, participation here. Um, does our change process depend on God's work or does it depend on our work? I hear yes, yes is the right answer. Yes, our change process depends on God's work and our work. Yes, it's both. Peter just laid it out. God grounds it in his power. And then he says, now make every effort. It's both God's work and our work. God saves us. Jesus Christ gives us a new heart apart from our work. That's purely his power. His Holy Spirit comes in when we confess that Christ is Lord, the resurrected, crucified Savior of Israel and the world, and we say yes to Jesus' authority, the Holy Spirit comes in and transplants our hearts of stone with a beating heart for God. And that is not our work. That is God's miraculous power. And now, with this beating heart that beats for God, make every effort. Like, now it's on us to change in partnership with His Spirit. This is P- this is what Peter is saying here. It's both. It's God's work and our work to change. And so here's the one thing I want to point out, out of this text, it'll launch us into the, the, the meat of this sermon. It's simply this. It's the pronouns. Can you put that last slide back up one more time? Uh, so here it is. See the pronouns. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. And then knowledge, self-control, all these things. And then verse eight, for if you possess these qualities, they will keep you from being, see all those pronouns. Well, in English, we run into a problem here because this wasn't originally written in English. Uh, It was written in Greek. And Greek has a cool advantage. They have second person plural pronouns. We don't have that in English unless you're from the South and you say y'all. So all y'all is a really cool phrase that does what the Greek does. But on the West Coast, we don't say y'all. So we're kind of at a disadvantage because when we read you, here's our problem. We read you grow, you make every effort, you love your neighbor. We go, okay, me. Uh, We don't think us. We don't think that God is speaking to a community through that text. We think he's speaking to me as an individual primarily, which is kind of fruit of our hyper-individualistic culture. We read, we can read that text and we can primarily, this is the problem, we, our minds primarily go to like private individual, okay, me and my personal Jesus relationship, I'm supposed to make every effort now. Um, but this is not what it was intended to be communicated as. It was supposed to be read in a community and lived out by a community and understood in the context of community the whole way through. It's plural pronouns all the way down. And so we forget that the Bible was meant to be read that way, and through thick and thin community, no matter what. And the commands were primarily community commands, not private, personal commands, even though obviously there's a private, personal relationship with Jesus through prayer and through discipline. But that's not the, per- that's not the main focus of the vast majority of the New Testament commands. And so here's the main point I want to get across today. We are deeply convinced we being Park Hill leadership, convinced that living in authentic community is vital to becoming like Jesus, okay? Apart from committed, spirit-empowered community, we will not be continually transformed into the loving, sacrificial, peacemaking family of Jesus in the world. In other words, you and I cannot become like Jesus alone. You just can't. Mother Teresa famously said, loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. And this is easy to miss. We have Twitter and email and texting and Facebook and Snapchat. We're more connected than ever, but connectivity is not the same as community. Sherry Turkle wrote this book, Alone Together. I love that title. It says a lot. And she says this in the book, we turn to our phones instead of each other. It's just our... It's our mode of operation now, and it's wreaking havoc on our souls. So today, we're looking to Jesus for guidance on how to live as a committed Christian community. Just think about, think about Jesus' first community. Uh, these 12 guys, he handpicks, and, and then he, uh, women and men all become part of this first community, but these first 12, they're incredibly diverse from across the spectrum not not racially diverse because everyone was Jewish in Israel and Judea and Galilee, but in every other way, they were diverse politically, personality-wise, ideologically. I mean, you have, you have an anti-Roman Jewish nationalistic zealot walking alongside a pro-Roman Jewish tax collector for Rome, walking alongside Jesus in this little learning community. And so it's safe to assume they didn't... Have a great time getting along all the time? It was difficult, okay? Because let's face it, community can be a buzzword today. It's kind of a hip thing to want and talk about. Um, all this talk about you know diversity and togetherness and life, doing life together. It can feel really idealized. Um, but we got to face the music, just like Jesus' first community did, uh, that the reality is they probably had a really hard time getting along. And three years walking with Jesus on the dusty roads of Galilee and Judea was not easy. I mean, you have a story in one of the Gospels where they're literally fighting over who's the greatest right in front of each other. Um, so it wasn't easy to get along. We see this, this theme of difficulty in community. We see it continue through the rest of the New Testament. Authentic community is hard. Here's the first snapshot of the earliest church, just after Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit came. Here it is. So you guys know the the passage, the church is born day one, and then here's how they act. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers, look at that, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Like they shared all their stuff. That's, that sounds kinda ideal and awesome. And then verse 40, verse 45, they sold property and gave to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They, they ate together. Verse 47, they worshiped together and they kept growing together. And and that seems ideal, right? Like That seems like the kind of church I'd want to be a part of. And if you turn the page to chapter 4 of Acts, it continues. Verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. So basically what we're going to do today is at the Connect table, we're all going to sign up for the same joint bank account at Bank of America (laughs) so that we can live like the ideal, uh, with great power. With great power, the apostles continued to testify resurrection. And just inc- look at verse thirty-four. There were no needy persons among them. They're literally selling their real estate to make sure the bottom line comes up to the medium. Ins- insane. It's like all our like Western American individual sensitivities are triggering right now. Um, but this this is what's going on. It sounds amazing led by the Spirit, empowered by the presence of God, it's really hard for me to read this and not feel like, gosh, I wish somehow we could just get back to the early church and we could be like that. But then you keep reading. The next page, chapter five. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, But brought the rest, put at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? And and, and look at half of verse four. He says, what made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And in great fear... Great fear seized everybody. Everybody just got terrified. And some young men came forward, like Jake. Jake walks forward with Scott because someone lied about their money to Park Hill, and they died at the communion table. And Jake has to go take them out and bury them by the fountain. This is literally what just happened at early church. And so, gosh, I just wish our church was like the early church, don't you? Uh, And so so what I'm hopefully making clear, um, even the first church that was brand new, and they saw the Holy Spirit come in visible flame and audible wind, and then they, they, many of them hung out with the risen Jesus, even that community was not all it was cracked up to be. So I just want us to stop and realize this, that there's the ideal, I'll put it, I'll put it here, there's the ideal of community, and then there's the gritty real And our change process happens in the messy middle. So we're in real here and we see what we're called to there and we gotta confess we're never gonna fully arrive until glory, until Jesus returns to establish the new heavens and new earth. But we're on our way and we're committed to one another and the middle space is messy. It's always gonna be messy. Um, I'm sure that that community that came up, uh, the Charleston's group, they, they can tell you just as many stories where it got kind of awkward, you know? So, a- as Park Hills leadership, we realize that messy middle space is, is hard um, for all of us in different ways. We've been pushing these communities for like 18 months, 20 months now, and we know it's been challenging for a lot of you to feel known and at home. So I just wanna say to those of you that have stuck it out, well done. Like, we celebrate with you for sticking it out and modeling the faithfulness of Jesus, because that is hard. And we're celebrating with you who are experiencing relational depth and transformation and deep intimacy together. Authentic community is full of tough tension, but that tension is the path to transformation, but it's still tense, okay? So a huge goal for today, today, and hopefully this will launch a discussion for the week, uh, it's to talk openly about this tension and to take steps together as a church to move into that messy middle with intentionality. Okay, so for the rest of this teaching, I'm just gonna lay down six thoughts. Six thoughts for us as a community. We went through these six things in February of 2018. So it's been over a year and a half when we, when we went through our pillar series and we laid down the community pillar. These things are uh, six thoughts adapted from Bridgetown, a church family that kind of planted us from, in Portland. These, these are John Mark's articulations and they're being adapted for Park Hill, filtered through 20 months of us learning together as a community. And so this is where we're gonna go through and come to the table. So number one, community is non-optional for discipleship to Jesus. In 2015, Barna asked thousands of Christians, what is your preferred method of discipleship? Okay, that was the question. How do you like your discipleship to happen? And here's what they found. Among Christians who say spiritual growth is important, how many of you say spiritual growth is important? 10, 20 Christians, cool. So how many of you think spiritual growth is, like, important? Okay, cool. More. That's good. So among those of us who believe spiritual growth is important, more than one-third say they prefer to pursue spiritual growth on their own. 37% said that. Similarly, two in five of all Christian adults consider their spiritual life to be, quote, entirely private, in other words one of the problems revealed by this research is that millions of Christians believe that discipleship is a solo affair with only personal and private implications. And so this survey it pulled back the curtain like by far amongst American Christians the most preferred method of trying to follow Jesus is, quote, on my own, not with a mentor, not with a community. Most just said, hey, this thing's me and Jesus. But discipleship doesn't work that way. Jesus did not have a disciple. He had disciples. It's never just Jesus and Peter. You always read, like, Jesus and Peter, James and John, or Jesus and the 12, or Jesus and the 70, or the 5,000 it's plural always, whenever it's happening in the story. And again, I don't know how many of you were aware of this, but Park Hill, like, uh, like Aaliyah said, Park Hill is led by a community group. We, are, we moved together from Portland and from Orange County, we came together as a community to lead a church as a community. And it's, uh, it's hard, it's been awkward at times and painful, and we're still intentionally working through what it means to be better at relationships. Like, uh, we're creating the discussion guides for you, so we thought it would be awkward to go through our discussion guides we created. So we're going through Emotionally Healthy Relationships, which is Pete Scazzaro's like 2.0 curriculum. And it's, last Tuesday, we all did our genograms, which is like tracing your family tree and the brokenness from generation to generation, from grandpa to parent, to you, and then maybe, like, projecting what, what am I doing or not doing to and for my children, like, thinking through all of these things and talking openly about them, and it's just beautiful, like, our whole family is all together in the room, the kids are running around, as we're going through our genogram, and I'm like, man, there's a lot of disconnected and distant relationality in my lineage, oh, man, I hope my children, and then I just, I just hear my four-year-old from the bathroom with the door wide open, can somebody wipe my bottom? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, here I come, I just... Come and wipe his bottom and get back into the genogram. And we're all in it together. And, and we're working on this thing hard. And it's a family thing. The point is, you can't follow Jesus alone. You can't. Uh, in the words of the ancient desert fathers from the third century, one Christian is no Christian. You can't separate your discipleship to Jesus from involvement in a church community just to imagine following Jesus apart from the church, it's virtually brand new Western thought. Be unimaginable before a couple hundred years ago because the primary metaphor in the New Testament for God's people is family. We have a father and we are siblings, Adelphoi. It's this beautiful, beautiful Greek word that just means siblings. This is who we are for and with one another forever, whether we like it or not. This is who we are, siblings together. So follow that metaphor. If a good father has adopted a loving child into his home, does that child have any choice in being loved and being welcomed? (laughs) No, our father has fully welcomed us. And let's say there were pre-existing siblings in that house. Does that newly adopted child have any choice but to relate as a sibling to those pre-existing siblings, no. It's that this this whole thing is one big relational, beautiful hairball of acceptance and family. Okay, so so here's here's the thing. Remember, when we read these commands, you love your neighbor. Make every effort to become more like Jesus. And love one another, love your neighbor. When you read that, it's easy to forget these commands were always read in a room full of your neighbors. Like when it was time to read your Bible, no one had a Zondervan or Thomas Nelson ESV. Those things, there was no printing press. For, 15, for three-fourths of the church's life, for 1,500 years, there was no private Bibles. So the Bible reading time was in rooms in the nitty-gritty of shared life. When Paul's letter came to town, he's like, now, be kind, do everything without complaining or disputing, and to be to one another as Christ is for you. Let, your, let Christ's mind be in yours, plural, y'all's. And, 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 and they would all be like, oh, shoot, he's hearing this, and I, I, we just had a falling out, and now we got to deal with Paul's instruction. And they had to wrestle it out together, live and on the spot. This is just how the church always functioned, which is amazing, and it's also amazing that we all have private Bibles. I think that's a miracle and a blessing. So much bloodshed has gone for us to actually be able to read in our common language and know and understand the biblical author's intent and see Jesus for ourselves, truly. I think it's amazing, don't get me wrong. I do think what has been lost is the non-optionalness of wrestling through the entire story of the scriptures as a community and submitting to one another and realizing the diversity in the room and how one verse hits one person differently than another because of different kinds of wounds we've lost all but lost the non-negotiableness of that kind of spirituality Um, as a Christian, so uh, slide here, Ronald Roheiser says, a Christian spirituality is always as much about dealing with each other as it is about dealing with God. So you have to be in deep community as a follower of Jesus. It's not even optional. And, that, and that's actually a good thing. Because, number two, second thought, community is non-optional for a well-lived life. Like, just to be human. Like, you need relationships. Whether you're a Christian, atheist, Buddhist, or some off-brand spiritual person, you were made for relationships. We're relational souls. On page one of the Bible, whose image are humans made in? God's. I see one person pointing up to God. That's great. So humans were made in God's image. Who is God? That's a tough question. He's Yahweh. He's revealed as a triune relationality. All through church history, orthodoxy has called God one in three. So Father, Son, Spirit in relationship is God. And it always has been that way. God has always been that way. Eternally pre-existing, self-giving love shared. So imagine that self-giving triune love shared spills over to create to share more, and there you are, here we are, the offshoot of his love, run from him and now brought back through redemption, welcomed to reflect his relationality again. We were made for this stuff, guys. We, 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 we were made to be in relationship. There's no other way to be human than to be in relationship. God saw the human, Adam, the human, Adam, and said, it's not good for the human to be alone. And listen, um, human marriage is often the only topic that that verse gets applied to, but it's not only about marriage. When God says it's not good for the human to be alone, it's not just about human marriage, it's just as much, if not more, about spiritual community. So what I'm about to say might be surprising to some of you, but contrary to what a lot of the American church has taught, whether explicitly or implicitly, I've heard it both ways, contrary to that, Human marriage is not the ultimate goal of a well-lived life. You can be a fully flourishing human being as a single person, okay? How how do I know that? Well, because we follow a single person named Jesus. And don't tell me for a second that Jesus didn't have a fully flourishing human life. And so Jesus, uh, he leads the way in this. We were born relational souls, whether single, or married or extroverted or introverted or whatever else it doesn't matter if one close just you tell, I mean if one close relationship in your life is is awkward or tense or really painful you're a wreck if like a close relationship gets broken you're a wreck and your relationship with God is even put to the test at that point because God designed humans to be this beautiful hairball of emotional, relational sharedness. And it's, it's a reflection of him. Paul wrote, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And that's healthy humanness, you guys. What happens when you got that degree? Like, or when, when uh, you know, commencement is coming and you send out invitations, right? You send, like, you, you send out some kind of, like, flare into the universe, like, come, be with me. (laughs) Like, when when you get the degree, or you get that job, or you get that promotion, do you naturally want to go, you know, all right, I'm just totally going to go grab myself a beer, that's the ultimate, by myself. Just be just me, by myself. No, you, like, in some way, you call a distant relative, or you call a friend, in some way, it's a call to community. And whatever we celebrate, also when we mourn, when we're grieving, that's often a, like a, a, a gut level cry for physical presence with people. So, community is not optional, whether the high highs or low lows, or a, either way, to be a fully flourishing human being. We all know this, we long for this. Community is not optional for a well lived life. And then, number three, community is where we change, it's where we're transformed. And this ties directly out of, this ties directly to our whole vision series, Becoming Like Jesus. Can't happen without community. And I think we all want community, like belonging at a deep level. And we realize this at the surface, you become like the people you hang out with. You know, you, know, you become like the company you keep. Fashion, music, language, we start to reflect that. Uh, But at a deeper level, community, defined as intentional relationships around Jesus, this kind of community, it does two things for our transformation into Christ-likeness. True community, it exposes us and it encourages us. It does both. And both are needed. When you're exposed, it exposes what Pete Scazzaro calls your shadow side. It's this unself-aware, dark, sinister side of who we are, and he describes it this way. It's the accumulation, yeah, that's good, there it is. It's the accumulation of untamed emotions, less than pure motives and thoughts, that while largely unconscious, strongly influence and shape your behaviors. It's the damaged but mostly hidden version of who you are. And the problem, it's not just hidden from a lot of people, but it's way more often hidden from ourselves. And we need honest, spiritual family to expose it. And it's hard. It's painful. So like I said, there's a community of leaders that lead this church. There came a moment when things got so just, it was really great, but there were things that needed to be dealt with, specifically in my character, uh, because I have a unique role as, as a le- the lead pastor. And so I would be leading uh, meetings and, and, and I didn't know this but there was like a, a tendency because I'm you know, so fun-loving and I want to incorporate everyone and I, I like quick ideas and I move quick, I'm, I can be unpredictable which makes people who like predictability and stability, it makes them nervous and operate with a low-grade anxiety that something's going to be pulled out from under their feet at any moment or I'm just going to be crazy and so, <clears throat> and so we actually brought in a mediator like a spiritual, uh, like a life coach or spiritual director, to come in and do a 360 assessment on me, where they went to five people on the team and they got how can Evan grow, what is Evan doing great, and then he distilled it into like a personal kind of comments, so I couldn't see which one came from who, and then I just had to repent. And we went on a retreat out to the out to the desert, and I'm just like, this is all true. This is really this is true. My soul was like hamburger meat for like three days, but it but it was so it was good. I think I need to do it again next January. (laughs) There's so much I'm not aware of that affects people in ways I don't intend, and and this community exposes that, exposes this. We we try to do it just um we try to do it on our own. Like hey, let's do blind spots, and we and we do this thing called blind spots, and it's hard. To, to actually look someone in the face and tell them where their blind spot is. Uh, and then everyone kind of goes around. Uh, but, it's, but it's a good practice to seek the shadow side of me, to, to seek it, let it be exposed, so that the second part is true, that I can be encouraged. I can be encouraged. I can be built up. It's not just to leave me raw. The point of community and getting raw isn't just to like lay it all out and make everyone feel bad and leave awkward. The point is so that at that moment of raw, open woundedness, we can then begin to do 1 Corinthians 14.3, and now let everyone who prophesies prophesy for comfort and encouragement and the building up of all. And so at that moment, the community comes around and says, yes, to your shadow side, but God. And we see who you truly are in Christ. And then the encouragement comes in and just begins to Reshape your identity around Jesus in the most profound way you cannot get outside of community. I see this constantly, and it's hard, but it's good. It's way easier to just like back away from tough talks, and to and to just say, "Okay, I'm just going to make a new friend." Click on friend or whatever. Um, it's way harder to stay devoted to community for transformation. But this is the way of Jesus. So Jesus calls us to expose and encourage. Okay to expose and encourage. And then uh, number four, Christian community is not the same thing. I gotta say this. It's not the same thing as a group of friends. So again, if if you're like me, where you just like, you know, I just like a lot of surface level relationships and everybody just to feel awesome and not really talk about what's really happening. You know what I mean? Like there's a super unhealthy side to that. Um, And so I need to say this. Because if you're a fun-loving, like, yay, I love everyone, everyone's amazing, and this community's awesome kind of person, we're tempted to think, I have lots of friends in my community. Maybe. Maybe not. Like, I don't mean to be cliche, but authentic community really is those you do life with. Like, people who see you on the good and the bad days, who don't see the filtered version of you the always-make-up-on, never-sad version of you. Like, I need people who are so close to my life that they know firsthand how I really treat my wife and kids. Like, when my filters are off. And the key thing here is that your circle of friends isn't necessarily the same thing as your spiritual family, your community of transformation. And then number five, community is the byproduct of commitment. It's a byproduct of this other thing called commitment. And if you get, if you only like leave with one of these six thoughts, maybe it should be this one. Remember how Acts 2 42 starts. I think the most ignored word in the verse, and they devoted themselves to the doctrine of prayer, blah, blah, blah. They devoted, they committed to this thing, you guys. I think we all ache for community. We long for it. Like The breakdown of the family in the wake of the sexual revolution in the 60s, like it's just left these ripples that have given the West, a, we, have, we have a sense of placelessness and insecurity and we long to belong to true capital F family, but we also like to keep our options open. Like, am I right? Like, we like to keep our options open. We approach relationships with this self-oriented logic. Like, you walk into a community group or a church or a classroom, and you're like, are these my kind of people? Which is just another way of saying, what's in it for me? Or like, how will this group or this person make me look or feel? Because we live in a world of options, so we hold out. Um, Like, what if there's a better person or a cooler group or you know, this is kind of cool now, but what if there's a better one later? And so I don't know my, I don't know my options yet. I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know how I feel about it. We're such a keep our options open culture where commitment is viewed as a last resort. Like, yeah, I'll commit eventually when I'm like, I find myself settling down or whatever. Um, that's the culture we're in. Just to illustrate this, uh, a friend of mine, Mark Sayers, um, he's a great author, and he, plants a, he planted a church in Australia that's going really well. Um, he, he tells a story of the early days in church planting. There was this new girl that came to the church, and he was excited to meet her and find out what she thought about like the atmosphere, the worship, the teaching, but she didn't care about any of that. She didn't have any questions or want to talk about that. She had one question. She was like, are you guys really doing this again next Sunday? And he's like, oh, okay, he lives like a curveball. He's like, yeah, yeah, actually the weekly gathering's been like central to Christians for 2,000 years or whatever, but (laughs) yeah, we we come back next Sunday. And she she goes, but how do you know you won't have something else going on? (laughs) Genuinely perplexed. This is our culture. Um, We keep as much as possible at arm's length. It's a holdout culture, and it creeps into the church. The reality is we can't experience the community we long for without commitment. can't. If we want community, like safe, open, honest, spiritual family in Jesus, then we have to commit to a group of people that's less than ideal, that isn't perfect, that's probably going to hurt you, problems and issues, and we just have to say, I'm in it with you, I'm in it, let's be in this. This means commitment to a people, but it also means commitment to a place, a place. And I realize this cuts against the grain of SoCal, like commuter culture. I mean, this, this sense of placelessness is built in to San Diego. I mean, we lived in Portland for four years, it was very different. Like in Portland, if you, uh, like we live nine minutes, a nine minute drive from downtown. So we can get from our house in Tigard, which is Southwest suburban Portland, to uh, Northwest 23rd Street, Salt and Straw, the original awesome place. And so we could get, we could get from our house to Salt and Straw in nine minutes. And, and it was such a quick drive, that's nothing. We're like born and raised in Southern California. I remember the, the first time we started regularly making that commute or whatever, we would drive down and we'd see people who live down in the city that go to the downtown campus church and, and they'd be like, Evan, what are you doing down here? Oh my gosh. How is it out there? Like, just totally like they're like hobbits. And Portland has these four sections. It's like the Shire and nobody leaves anybody else's strawberry patch. It's totally true. And, and so and we're just like, it just took me nine minutes to drive. I, what am I doing down here? I'm getting ice cream. And it's good to see you too. Like, they're like, I can't believe you're here. <laughs> and and in, in San Diego, when, when we tell people in Portland that we, it's normal to get on the freeway, the freeway, and drive 45 minutes to visit a friend, they're like, there's no way that's your friend. Like, one of the pastors up there actually said, like, I, I, uh, I don't know, if, I can't remember if it was from, from the pulpit or just in conversation. There's no way you can really be friends with someone 30 minutes that lives away from you. I'm just like, man, that's so PNW life. You know, that's not SoCal. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. SoCal, we are happy commuting our faces off. Like, like I, will drive, I will drive hours a day to work or to visit or whatever, and so we actually lose place placelessness, a sense of owning a neighborhood or owning a community or really feeling responsible to know and understand the culture of your street. And so part of a commitment to community is committing to a place. But in the roots of San Diego, there's like a placeless drive. Whether military or school or career options, people move here but they don't really settle. Right, I mean, we live in an apartment, rent lease to lease, move every six or 12 months, work a great job, enjoy the city, eat our way through the gas lamp, and then move on, or whatever. And if that's you, like, welcome here. This is a church in San Diego, so we're San Diegans. Chances are that's probably most of us in many ways. And I know lots of you are here for college, and a lot of students in this church. Community will obviously look different in different phases of life, okay? I wanna say that, it'll look different. Having said that, let me put on my friendly neighborhood pastor hat now and let me take a minute to call you to prayerfully commit to our city and to specifically in the context of a Park Hill community for the long haul. Like, of course, you know, Lord willing as God provides, as long as God doesn't call you elsewhere, job, all that, yes, all the disclaimers, okay, all the disclaimers, all those, take those. But seriously, consider doubling your level of commitment for this time, for this city, for this family that God does have you in right now, to get a little more concrete. If you were, let's say, if you were only committed to being here for 12 months, maybe an internship of some kind, commit to two years. Or maybe you're only thinking, I'm asking to consider stretching through prayer, stretch your expectation of commitment level. If you're only planning on a two year master's, master's degree program, consider four years with your community in the city. If you're only committed to four years, consider eight for this city. I'm hearing a silent gasp of commitment phobia right now. Like, <laughs> like I feel that. I get that. This is, this is serious. So, there is something about rootedness that is central to Jesus' call to live in the kind of community that changes us by the power of God. We have a whole cultural mindset working against it. And we have to live counter. Saint Benedict, a monk from fifth or sixth century, he started the Benedictine order. Uh, He said it this way. He he calls this uh, stability, and he says stability is the spiritual skill of staying put to get somewhere. I love it. Last May, my wife and I visited a Benedictine monk, uh, a a monastery of monks out in uh, the New Mexican desert, and then we're going back in April of next year. Profound time. God met us there beautifully, and these. These guys, they just have this way of life that's committed around a vow that they take of stability. And here's a version of the vow. I think this has wisdom in it. Not saying we all have to literally do this like this, but it has wisdom in it for people that live in a placeless, fast-paced, non-committal, keep-your-options-open urban context like ours. He says, uh, we vow, they say, we vow to remain all our life with our local community. We live together, pray together, work together, relax together. We give up the temptation to move from place to place in search of an ideal situation. Ultimately, there's no escape from oneself. And the idea that things could be better someplace else is usually an illusion. And when interpersonal conflicts arise, we have a great incentive to work things out and restore peace. This means learning the practices of love. Acknowledging one's own offensive behavior, giving up one's preferences, forgiving. Man, that is the spirit we are going for at Park Hill Church. Now, obviously don't freak out. There's no you know, vow of stability back at the, con- uh, you know, the connect table that I'm asking everyone to, f- to sign. There's nothing like that. However, I do believe the spirit wants to form us more towards the ideal, through the mess. We're never gonna get past the mess. And as we move through this vision series and then into Advent and celebrate the birth of Jesus, and then we hit 2020, I can't wait to tell you what we're doing in 2020, and as we have baptisms every month, I, I, I invite all of us, consider what would it look like for you to live rooted and committed together with your community? And finally, as we come to the table, community takes time and intentionality, you guys. It takes time. We've been doing this for like 20 months, this community thing. And like we're, we're hearing incredible stories about how God's working, but it takes time. Those first few weeks, they're just awkward. Those first few months can be just dead air. It can be awkward, and that's normal hang tight, be patient, give it time, and to actually experience transformation, to actually be transformed, takes more time. It takes time to get to know somebody from scratch, you guys. I mean, think about the last person that you got to know from scratch with the intent to actually have a relationship. It's hard, it doesn't happen that often, right? We're able to just kinda fly over the surface of so many relationships in our lives. It takes intentionality, it won't just happen. I love what one writer said. Uh, he, he said, ritualize the commitment. <laughs> ritualize the commitment. I love that, because like, it's a liturgy, it really is. And, and, and what does it look like to ritualize it? Make it non-negotiable. Like, what I, I've said this before, consider the call to cancel rule. Like, no, no texting to cancel community nights. Ritualized community nights. If I do not show up, it will be after I've physically called you. Like, this is, like, oh, it's like, oh, my gosh. So, so here's the deal. So the way we want to think about Park Hill Church, the way we think about it, it's a network of communities spread across our city, living out the way of Jesus together in the gritty reel of life. And then all those communities come together on Sunday to gather around word and table and songs of praise and one another to celebrate the faithfulness of God in prayer. So it's church around, like, we don't have a stage, but it's church around a microphone and church around a table, your table. It's church in chairs and it's church on your couches. Church with a lot of people, church with a dozen. The congregation and the community. It's both gather and gather and scatter. This is what we, we believe in this so much, it's how our website is formed, around gathering and scattering. We believe in this both and, ebb and flow of church life. And and we're not talking about some ideal, like we're all gonna become Benedictine monks with a shared checking account. That's, we're talking about the real. We're not setting our minds on some disillusioning impossibility. No, we want the actual mess. Because journeying through the mess in open humility together is how we're changed. How do we change? How do we become like Jesus? That is how. That is the context of transformation, where cycles of sin that go deep, even into your subconscious, are broken. And the redemptive power of God that we all believe in and we all agree with actually becomes who we are in our behavioral level. And our spiritual DNA gets reformed, not like the old self in Paul's language, but like the new person in Christ that God sees you becoming. The pathway to that transformation is together through the mess. The best way we can think of to shepherd you into that mess is through these communities we always talk about. Because the elders of the church are in direct contact with the leaders and the conversation is open and flowing and we learn your names quicker and we're answering questions and we're available and there's order. This is why we have a specific community context and it's not just every man or every woman for themselves. So a lot of you are brand new to this church and I say welcome, like amazing, love it. We can't wait to meet each other. Uh, Again, the connect table is where to get the conversation started on this. But as we come to the table now, wherever you are with Jesus, if you're not even a Christian, welcome. Lean in. Reach out. Palms up. Ready to receive and ready for God to receive from us whatever he desires. We're not just inviting you to come to a Christian event on a Sunday at 1030. We're glad you're here. Thank you for coming at 1030. But this is the beginning This is the launching pad into life together in the context for transformation. Real transformation happens through life all week long as the spirit-empowered community of Jesus. That's the invitation. Can we all stand together?